Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. This morning, I get to continue our series in Proverbs. So we are, uh, we're looking at wisdom through, through the Proverbs. And, um, you know, I, I, it, the, this, the particular topic that we're going to talk about is around decision-making, right? Like, that's like a light topic. I mean, it's not that important, right? How do you, how, how do you, how do you make decisions? What, what, does, uh, what does wise decision-making look like? What does it even mean to make a kind of a wise decision? I'm curious, show of hands, how many of you in the last few months have had to wrestle with some type of a major decision? I mean, it could be relational, it could be work, it could be transition, it could be major purchase. I mean, all sorts of things. Show of hands, who's, who's had to wrestle with it? Yeah, look around, right? Welcome to the human race. Um, decisions. Decisions are always, uh, always upon us, and, uh, and they're often pretty sizable. They're, 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 they're quite often pretty sizable. In fact, no matter who you are or what you believe, it would be hard to find a person alive who's not really interested in making a good decision, right? Uh, I, went to, I went to Amazon and I looked up decision-making books, which is a terrible way to search for decision-making books, but it still, it still returned over 100,000 results of, of, of books. I googled good decision-making and that returned 3,650,000,000 results on making good decisions in less than a second. Three billion six hundred and fifty million is quite quite is quite is quite a lot. Everyone is interested in making good decisions. Those books they're going to offer a lot of great advice and tactics, but uh, you know some of them are going to be better than others. Some of them will align with the wisdom of God's word, and some of them some of them won't. As I was praying about and considering what I believe the Lord would have me do this morning and kind of focus on. Um, I really felt like instead of focusing so much on all of the different tactics, and there are some important things, and I am going to touch on some of that, what I really felt like is that my primary goal this morning is to nudge you towards seeing the hope of the gospel and the presence of the good shepherd at the center of your decision making. How do we become the kind of people that make good decisions, not just focus on on, on how do we make good decisions. So we're going to kind of touch on both of, those, both of those things. And the thing that's going to help to anchor us this morning is out of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. If you, uh, it's going to be on the screen, uh, and uh, I'll be reading it out, out of the ESV. My child, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Love that, uh, that, that, that proverb. also love when proverbs sound like a psalm. <laughs> you know, so there's so many proverbs that are like real super pithy, but this, I just love the, 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 that, that, that portion of Scripture. 
So, personal story. Uh, I know I've probably shared this story before, but uh, I turned 47 on Friday. And I think it, with each passing year, I'm allowed to repeat myself more often. Uh, I think that's, a, that's, that's something. And, you know, hey, we, uh, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the, our testimony. And this is a part of, my own, part of my own testimony. It was January 1997. January 1997. I just graduated from art school. Uh, I had gone to a trade school kind of as a, as a graphic designer. I learned, learned to be a graphic designer. I was in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Anybody ever been to Fort Lauderdale, Florida? Yeah. I, I'm not a fan, actually. <laughs> but I lived there for a little, I did live there for a little while. In the final year of my college experience, I, I became really a follower of Jesus. Um, I had grown up in the church, but I didn't really know what it meant to really follow Jesus. I, I, I had believed, I had confessed, I was scared of hell. <laughs> and at some point, that I had confessed that he had died for my sins, and, and I've spoken about this before. I kind of sort of, I think in my mind, I had kind of sort of thought I had a ticket, and I was just kind of waiting and trying to be a good boy until I could cash the ticket in and, 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 and get into a good place when, when, when I died. Um, I didn't really understand what it meant to follow Christ as, as, as a disciple, as my Lord and my, and my Savior. Well, it all changed when I experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit on a beach in, in Fort Lauderdale as a friend of mine was being baptized in the Atlantic Ocean, a friend of mine that I had, I had kind of witnessed to even though I didn't know what I was talking about. God, God used me and, and uh, I heard the voice of God that morning on, on the beach for the very first time. I heard him speak to me directly and the direction of my life really forever, it changed. It changed on, on that beach. I began to follow my Lord, my Savior, my teacher and my friend, Jesus. As I was approaching my time to leave school, I, I had a lot of plans. I had a lot of ideas for what I wanted to do. I, had, I, I, was from a, I was a kid from a rural, small farm town in Ohio with like one blinking light, lots of cows. And, and so I finally got out of there, and I was in Fort Lauderdale, and I'm, I'm finishing school, and I had made friends in Chicago and New York and Boston, and I was, man, I was, I was committed to jumping in the ad agency world and starting to climb the ladder. I had kind of come through and realized I had a good knack for, for that. And, and um, so my, these, were, these were my plans. But when my life ran into Jesus on that beach, that began to change. Soon through conversations with another follower, the idea of moving to Nashville, Tennessee kind of was popped in. It came, came into the conversation. I heard a whoo. Yeah, more popular than Fort Lauderdale, I guess. Yeah. <clears throat> that idea had kind of been planted in my mind by, by a friend of mine who was, who was continuing to invite me to, to, to church, actually. What, what was in Nashville was the Christian music industry. And, uh, you know, I, that was an important music, and, and Christian music in particular was a really important part of my conversion experience. I won't bore you with the details of it, but it was just really important to me. And I happened to be really good at brochure design. Like, I was a graphic designer, and I was really good at, like, designing brochures, and I thought, I was 20. I was like, cool, let's design some albums. That would be awesome. Like, who doesn't want to do that, right? So I, um, on the day, I began to actually pray about it and consider it, and it ruminated with me, and it stuck with me for the last few months before, before I graduated. The day I graduated, I was fortunate enough to have three job offers. The school that I went through, we did, like, a little portfolio review. You set up your work, and they had employers come through, and... My parents were down from Ohio, and I had three job offers, two of which were like really good, and um, I turned them all down. My parents were so frustrated. 
they were so they were so frustrated. But I was very confident in my early kind of journey with Jesus that he was leading me to Nashville. I graduated, I went home to Ohio for Christmas with the intention of going back to Florida and putting some things in order uh, so, that I could, so that I could move. And here was my plan. Here, here, here's, my, here, here's my plan. I needed to land a freelance job to make, uh, to, to make some quick cash to pay for my bills, uh, to pay for my bills, to rent a truck, to, to, to do some things. Um, I needed a part-time or maybe a full-time job that I could maybe work for maybe three months to, to save up a little bit more of a cushion. So I thought, I can hit a quick freelance job, get kind of like a part-time or full-time job, work, work some full-time hours and save up a little bit. But then I also needed somebody to replace me on my lease. So I, had a, I was a roommate, I had two friends, wonderful friends. I needed somebody to replace me on my lease because I was, I, was, uh, I, was, I was stuck in a lease and I didn't want to stiff my friends. But so as I returned to Florida, I diligently pursued my goals and nothing worked. Mm. Nothing. Like absolutely nothing. I was broke. I couldn't find a freelance job. Uh, I, I couldn't find a part-time job, a regular job. Nothing, literally nothing was working. I had spread the word around finding somebody else that might want to take over my lease. We had a beautiful apartment. Like it, nothing. Zip. Zilch. Nada. Nothing was working for me. This was now the end of January. I thought I was going to be gone by that time. I'm like, you know, I was like the first decision that I felt so confident that I heard God speak to me, and I'm supposed to do this, and boom, this is how it's going to happen. I'm going to do this, 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 and this, and boom, we're going, we're, we're going. And not so much. End of January kind of comes, and I was confused. I was frustrated. I didn't really understand what was going on. You know, God had told me to, to go. And... Uh, I remember grabbing a basketball uh, late, late one night, and I walked down to the local park to kind of shoot around and clear my head. I started talking to Jesus and uh, complaining <laughs> to, to him. Uh, and before long, I was no longer shooting the basketball. <laughs> I was throwing it as hard as I could against the backboard in anger <laughs> until I, I got tired and I slumped to my knees by myself in the, middle, uh, in the middle of that court. And I said to God, I give up, Lord. I'm sorry. If you want me to go, you're going to make it happen. If you don't, then I won't, and I'll stay here. I went home, I crawled into bed, and I fell asleep. This next part is not an exaggeration. I'm not exaggerating what happened next. I was woken up early the next morning to a phone call. It was the front office of my apartment complex. Uh, they knew I was looking for somebody uh, to, to, re to replace me on the lease, and they had a young guy who was interested, uh, who was interested in, in taking over uh, the lease, and his name was Sean. I, I, I kind of couldn't believe it. I, like, there was no traction, and all of a sudden, I get a call from the office saying, hey, we got a guy. His name's Sean. He's, he's willing, to, willing to step in. And by the way, it ended up working out. Sean ended up taking over, taking over my lease. About five to ten minutes later, not long after that phone call, again, early in the morning, I got a phone call, this time it was from someone at my school, the, the school that I had just graduated from, um, and they were looking to place a freelance job, connect me to a freelance job. And uh, <laughs> that worked out too, I got the freelance job. And, and w before noon of the same day, maybe about an hour or two hours later, I got a third phone call, and it was one of the employers that had interviewed me on the day that I turned down, and he said, listen, 
we were just talking again, and we would really love to offer you this, this job. It's like, why don't you come on down to the office and kind of see it, and you know, we have kind of you know, uh, uh, full-time hours for you if you, if, if you want it. Um, I, I couldn't believe it. It was like my three-point plan was not working at all. I slumped down in the middle of a basketball court, frustrated, tired, and saying, God, I give up. Like, it's on you, and I'm going to trust you. And I wake up to three phone calls that solved all of my problems. Um, and I learned an, a really valuable lesson. Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And from our passage this morning, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. I will tell you, as I had surrendered to Jesus on that basketball court, I leaned on him, acknowledged that he was the only one who could really do something about my situation, and turned from my self-reliance, my pride, even my anger. I experienced refreshment for my bones. Jesus really was with me. He was listening. He responded, and he led me into what was good. It was about six months later, I was packing a U-Haul and moved to Nashville, Tennessee. And it was about uh, two months after that that he gave me a job in the Christian music industry design, designing things. And I, I don't say that like that that, that, that was an, an important outcome. It just it taught me something really important that I could trust him and I could surrender to him as I was trying to make good decisions. Um, something that I still carry with me today through each other major decision that I've made why do we want to make wise decisions? I think there's a, a few different reasons. I mean, it seems like a no-brainer kind of question, right? But some of these like simple questions, if you pause and you actually think about, they're a little more complicated than you might first think. I think we want to make wise decisions because we recognize that decisions move us somewhere. There's, there, there's movement. Uh, you know, the, the reality that decisions are about choices. Um, you know, we are presented with a problem or presented with an opportunity. We see a problem. We see an opportunity. How will I respond to that criticism that I received at work? I have a choice. Um, should I rent that apartment or stay where I am? Should my kids go to private school or stay in public? There's, there's, you know this, we all face choices, we all face decisions. Some of them feel big, some of them feel small, but each one of them is a choice. It's a fork in the road, some of them are wider, some of them are more narrow, and you need to choose how will I respond when those choices are presented to me. Sometimes the choice is just to wait and do, and do nothing, but that is even a choice, right? And, and, and the result is there's some form of movement with decisions. Nothing in life is static. When you, do, when you do this, you choose this, you don't choose that. As you make decisions, it moves and changes, and it means you go here and maybe not there. The thing is that our world tells us that you know, we don't have any limits. You can do anything you want to do, be anything you want to be, 
Keep all your options open. If you believe it, you can achieve it. You can have your cake. You can eat it too. Heck, you can have a donut. Like, you, you can just, all of it. You can have all of it. But that's not really true. Proverbs 19, verse 21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. You don't get everything. You don't get everything. I've joked about this before, but (laughs) I'm not going to play in the NBA no matter how hard I work or how bad I want it or how much positive thoughts I put into the universe. It's not going to happen. Uh, you're not going to offend me. Can we agree to that? I'm not playing in the, I'm not playing in the NBA. There, there is a reality to reality. Choices, choices mean our options become limited, and that's scary. So if choices move us somewhere, they start to limit options, and that can be scary because what if I get it wrong? Like, what, what if I don't like where I end up? What happens if the outcome of our decision is not what I hoped for? A mentor of mine used to say often, you're free to make your choices, but you're not free to choose your consequences. It's true. We don't like the feeling of no control because some of us, when it comes to decision-making, are fearful of making the wrong choice and having a poor result, a poor outcome. I myself see myself struggle with this the most at work during my, my, my day job. I, I sometimes believe, listen, oh, man, I'm nervous about this presentation. I'm nervous about this issue. If I just prepare enough, if I lay enough groundwork, if I present the perfect argument of why something needs to make sense and why this and why that, blah, 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 it'll go the way I want it to or the way that I think is right. I'm trying so hard to make it go the way I want it to go instead of actually understanding that the outcome business, the result business is what God's in. And what God wants me to do is the best that I can uh, with, with, uh, with, with him. That kind of thinking, being fearful of, of outcomes in our choices and the way that we prepare, all these things, it leads to a tremendous amount of anxiety. It's a, it's a recipe for anxiety. Rather, God is constantly trying to get our attention to let go of those things, but to also be responsible with what he has given us to, to, to do. That's some of us. Some of you might struggle with fear of choice. Although others, maybe you don't struggle so much with the loss of control or the fear of outcomes. Maybe, maybe, for, maybe for you, you kind of maybe lack more of the discipline to plan or, or even the belief that we should plan, like kind of at all, or that we should have a plan. We can approach decisions in life a little bit like it's a water slide. Just jump in and woohoo! <laughs> You just, you just end up where you end up, man. You don't really need to be all that responsible with decisions. Some of us kind of over-worry about them, and some of us kind of like don't think about it, don't think about it at all. But the Bible does not condemn planning uh, or discipline. It recognizes the need for it. Um, and uh, Proverbs 21, verse 5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Planning is a good thing, but our planning cannot be where we place our hope. So he doesn't want us to be fearful about making decisions, and he doesn't want us to put all of our hope in our plans. There is a middle, there is a middle way. The second reason why we want to make wise decisions 
is that we want what's good. We want a good life. We want to experience what's good. We want to succeed. We hope for good things instead of bad things. And there's nothing wrong with that if we understand what good is. What is good? What's a good life? Another simple question that philosophers have wrestled with for centuries and centuries and centuries. What is a good life? What does your picture of success look like? So if decision-making is, is, is moving you somewhere, where is it moving you to? What does success look like in your mind? Ultimately, what are you aiming for? I want you just to pause just for a second before, before I go on, and I want you to think about that. Think about it in your own heart, your own mind, as you picture what is ultimately good. What does that look like? Just go ahead. The good news for us is that the scripture tells us, the scripture shows us the answer to that question. Psalm 73, many of you will know that psalm. It's a beautiful passage. It deals with a very modern and real life situation. It's kind of like Asaph, the guy who wrote, wrote the psalm, had Instagram or something. Um, because uh, he's comparing his life to the life of an ungodly but yet very seemingly successful person. That's, that's largely what the psalm is about. He's having a bit of a pity party over seeing this other person who seems to have it all, someone with no trouble paying the rent or the mortgage, a beach fit body, perfectly healthy. But in the middle of the psalm, he's kind of complaining about that, like, why, 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 why? In the middle of the psalm, he steps into the presence of God. He recognizes the presence of God with him, and it kind of snaps him out of it kind of snaps him out. He begins to see what true success is, what is really, truly good. And we pick up in verse 23 after his epiphany, and this is what, uh, this is what the psalmist says. Nevertheless, I am continually with you, God. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel, you will guide me. Pause. Does it say you might guide me? What does it say? You will guide me. And afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all of your works. The nearness of God is my good. And this isn't just in the Old Testament. When we consider making decisions and the concern that we have sometimes about outcomes, we see that God's ultimate good for us is relational. He is concerned with the kind of people we become. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 29. The first verse is quoted pretty often. Many of you will know it very, very well. We know, verse 28, we know that all things work for good for those who love God 
who are called according to his purpose. Okay, often though, this verse is quoted as a way for people to say, hey, the circumstances that might not be working right, right, right for you right now, it's going to work out, you'll see. Uh, yeah. You'll see, it's, it's going to be great. It, it, it's going to be great. You'll, you, you'll, 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 hear, you'll hear people who don't know God at all actually quote this verse. It's kind of like in the cultural vernacular about how somehow things will just all work out for you somehow circumstantially. But that's not what this verse is talking about at all. You have to go on to the next verse to find out what the good is that Paul's actually talking about. If you look at verse 29, so if we say, if we look at 28 again, we know that all things work for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers." that Jesus would have brothers and sisters who would be just like him. The good that God intends is shaping you into the image of his son. That is the ultimate good that we are promised, and it's highly relational. So the things that you and I face today, now, part of our lives, no matter what they are, God is using those things to shape us and conform us into the image of his son. It's far less about your circumstance. It's way more about your character. Hmm. How do we make these good decisions? How do we go about doing it? Like, what, 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 is it, what does it look like to make good decisions? There are some pretty, there are some pretty, simple, uh, there are some pretty simple things. There's some pretty simple things to consider. One is to be in the Word of God. Actually, not rocket science. That, that, that's, that's one of the things that is a, is a really important thing. It's God, um, God's Word is completely alive. He uses it to breathe on us and to speak to us. There are things He will speak to you supernaturally, and there are things for you to learn using your mind and the understanding he's given you. I don't know if you've had that experience. There are times when I'm reading the word of God and something will jump off the page and he'll use it as a springboard to say something directly to me. There are other times when you read the word of God and, and you're reading what it's saying. You're understanding the context. You're understanding the thought flow. And from that, you receive guidance. God speaks to you. There's all sorts of different ways that God uses to speak to us through, through, through his word. In Proverbs alone, there are so many wonderful, wonderful things to learn about making wise decisions. Here's, here's just a couple of them. Here, here's just, just a few of them. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in the abundance of counselors, there is safety. If you wanna make good decisions, one of the things that you can use your mind as you read the word is receiving counsel <clears throat> and advice. Don't go it alone. Don't just figure everything out by yourself. God will place people in your life. It's been very true, very, very true in, 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 in my life. That's one, of the, that, that, that's one of the ways that God will speak to you through his word. Another one from Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise but the companion of fools will suffer harm. 
be careful who your friends are. Who are the people that, are you, that you're surrounding yourself with? Are you paying attention to the fruitfulness of their lives? If you see somebody that is fruitful in a certain area and you're interested in that area, that's, those are maybe a good people to talk to, to hang out with, to get advice from. There's, this, is, this is things that God will speak to you as you look at his word. Proverbs 19, verses 2. Desire without knowledge is not good. Let me say that again, because we live in a culture that tells you all your desires are great. Listen, God created desire. Desire is a good thing. It's part of the human experience. But our culture will tell you that your desires are ultimate. The proverb says, desire without knowledge is not good. And whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. Part of the reason that desires uh, it, it, desires are not good without knowledge is desires are inherently conflictual. They conflict with each other. We have all sorts of desires all the time. I, uh, I want to lose weight. I want the chocolate cake. I want to save for retirement. I want three new cars. Desires are inherently, they inherently are single-minded. They want whatever they want. And it requires governance. It requires the will. It requires understanding to order them and not to be run by them. Because if you run your life based on your desires, you will ruin your life. You will. These are things that we can learn through, 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 through the scriptures. My child, do not forget my teaching. This is from, from, from our passage this morning. My child, do not forget my teaching. That word teaching there is my Torah, my instructions, my words. But let your heart keep my commandments. If you're not spending time with God reading the Bible, you're going to miss out on a lot. You really, really will. God will use his word to guide you. Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And by the way, it's not a spotlight. <laughs> you know, God, I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but God is not super interested in giving you the full plan for everything. He usually lights up what's right in front of you, right? It's a light unto my, like, we're talking about when the psalmist wrote this, he's got like a little candle in a little burned, you know, clay, clay pot. It's not, it's not super bright, but it's just enough. It's just, it's, just, it's just what they need, and it's a great comfort in the darkness to have, to, to have, to have the light. Show of hands in here again, how many of you have received direct guidance from God on decisions that you needed to make as you read the Bible? Show of hands, don't be shy. Put them up, put them up, put them up. Look around. Lots, lots of us. This is a normal thing for, for God's people to encounter the Spirit of God and to receive guidance on decisions that we need to make, directions of our lives, things that we need to adjust, things that God wants to correct. It's a normal part. I know it's super elementary to say, read your Bible, but it's really, really, really important. It's part of the way that we meet God regularly. And it's one of the primary ways that we get to do the second thing. The second way that we, be, the, the second way that we make wise decisions is that we develop our loving attachment to God. We develop a loving attachment to him. 
The Bible over and over, including our passage this morning, shows us that the most important thing when it comes to making wise decisions is to be lovingly united with Christ, to be attached to God. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 3 through 4 says, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Let not, let not is the action of, of abandoning. He's saying, don't detach, don't let go, don't neglect. Don't let go of or neglect my steadfast love, steadfast love. Steadfast love is a wonderful word in Hebrew. It's hesed. It's hesed. It's translated in all sorts of English words. But it's a word that ultimately means kind of this lovingly, faithfully, covenantally committed, loving kindness. It's overwhelming connection and love, faithfulness. Be attached to me. Abide in me. Be near me. Allow me to love you so that you will learn to love me. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Everything starts with him. Everything starts with him. St. Clair of Assisi in the, 12, in the, in the 12, uh, 1200 said, uh, we become what we love and who we love shapes who we become. We become what we love and who we love shapes who we become. The, 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 the proverb tells us to bind this love around our neck and to write it on the tablets of our heart. Here's the good news of that. He does most of that work. We have to let him, but he does most of the work. Hebrews chapter eight, verse 10 says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. In John 15, Jesus tells his disciples that he is the true vine, and that their primary work is to abide in him. That is from this kind of attachment to him that all fruitfulness will flow. All fruitfulness flows by first being con connected and united with him. Then he makes this amazing statement in verse 9. I love this statement. Jesus says this to his disciples. He says it to you, says it to me. As the Father has loved me, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. What? As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Did you hear that? Matthew's, Matthew chapter 17, verse 5, on the, on the, kind of the, the Mount of Transfiguration, the Father says this over Jesus in an audible voice that the disciples heard. This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. We go back to John 15, a few verses after Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. He says, these things I have spoken to you 
that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He goes on to say, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. You did not choose me, but I chose you. If you're sitting here this morning and you've responded to the invitation to trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and the leading of your life, I have very, very, very good news for you. These words of Jesus tell you a truth that your heart must receive and hold fast. You have to bind this around your neck. Jesus looks at you this morning and he says over you, this is my dearly loved friend, my dearly loved brother or sister who brings me great joy. Do you get that? Do you get that? Do you understand that? I sometimes don't. I don't know if you're like me, but I hear that, and I start to shift into, yeah, but, yeah, but, uh, yeah, but, uh, but. I have a hard time just receiving the truth of that, but this is the words of Christ. This is, they just read you the Bible. It's good news or it's not. It's pretty good news. It's pretty, it's pretty good news. Which brings me to the third point of how we make wise decisions. If part of how we, uh, how we make wise decisions is to spend time with him, reading his word, growing our loving attachment to him, focus on what does it mean to love him, what does it mean to, to, to fall in love with him, to, 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 to truly love him? Because, man, when you do, obedience is a lot easier. It flows from you if you love him. If those are two of the important things, there are things that block our maturity. There are things where I just said, I hear that, and I have the, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. There are the yeah, buts that sometimes need to be dealt with. And those yeah buts, they're things that will hinder your growth, hinder your, attach, your attachment, hinder your ability to make wise decisions, hinder your ability to become the kind of person who makes wise decisions. And those two things are sin and wounds. Sin and wounds. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 15 says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you... In uh, any of you an unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Sin can sneak up on you. When we sin, we turn away from God. This creates an opportunity. It creates an opportunity for confusion. It creates an opportunity for distorted thinking. And all of those things begin to enter. Paul says it wages war against the law of our mind. James tells us that it starts small. After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it grows up, gives birth to death. 
Sin will rob you of the ability to make good decisions and can ultimately put your, the, 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 the car of your life in the ditch. God's got a great tow truck. But there are consequences. We're free to make our choices, right? Um, but we're not free to choose our consequences. Sin will rob you of the ability to make good decisions. We have to be focused on the first things. How do I connect to God? How do I stay close to him? What do you want, Lord? Where are you at? But then there's also woundedness. There's sometimes things that have been done to us where we have been sinned against and we pick up, we pick up harms, we pick up offenses, we have been hurt. Maybe even the, the, the hurt's not in your mind. Maybe it's a legitimately bad thing that has happened to you. Those things can also hinder your ability to grow and make good decisions. I have good news. There is a healer that God will come along and bring healing to you. Hmm. Hebrews chapter 12, verses one through three says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with confidence the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When we turn towards him, he can bring healing to us. If you have been wronged or harmed, maybe you didn't commit the sin, there's still a part that you have to play in releasing those things to him. For him to bring healing, then that can be a process. But those are things that can hinder your growth and hinder your ability to make wise decisions. I don't know if you've ever been there, done that. Like, ever been at work and someone did something that you were really frustrated about and you pulled out your email and you typed up a great email? Oh, man, that's a great email. And did you send it? <laughs> I hope you didn't. I think I've said that before in here. I'm like, don't ever send that email. That's a pro tip. Don't ever send that email. But this is real life, right? When things happen to us, when we pick up hurts, harms, they could be all the way back to your family of origin stuff, or they could just be stuff that happens in the, in the, flow, in the flow of life. They will rob you of the ability to make good decisions because they kind of take you off of your connection, your relationship, your intimacy with, with, with God. And the good news, though, is that we have a good shepherd. Band, you guys can join me back up here. Ultimately, 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 when it comes to making wise decisions, we have a promise. There is a promise that's been given to us. We have a good shepherd. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. When it comes to wise decisions, we do have a responsibility. We must trust him. Trust is not passive. It's active. Uh, and uh, one of the things that... Um, I always think about when I think about faith is uh, something that uh, 
uh, John Wimber used to say is that uh, faith is spelled R-I-S-K, right? Risk. It's active. It's not, it's not passive. Faith is not just, and trust is not just, there's an activeness to it. It's important that we recognize that one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. God is not looking for robots. He's, look, he's not looking for robots that he can dictate to. Jesus models for us the kind of relationship he's after when he chooses 12 guys to live with him, to stay close to him, and then in, in Matthew chapter 10, he sends them out two by two by themselves. He gives them instructions, but assumes that they will need to make a lot of their own decisions. He tells them to be shrewd as snakes and gentle as doves and to be on their guard. They will need to make decisions under the umbrella of his commission and move forward. Jesus ultimately trusts the guidance and sovereignty of his father, even as he sent out his 12 on their, on their first little training expedition. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. and all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. This proverb is super reassuring to me. I don't know about you, but one of the reasons why it's reassuring is because it assumes that I'm going to get something wrong. He has to make things straight. We, squirrel, like we get, <laughs> we go here, we go there, but as we come to him, as we lean on him, we turn back to him, we, we grow in our ability to make better decisions, we mature, we become more like him. We put into tactics and employ all the different tactics we talked about earlier. We receive counsel from others. We read in the word. There's all sorts of ways to make good decisions, but ultimately, we lean on him and trust him to make the path straight. That is our ultimate hope when it comes to decision-making. There's this little prayer that has always served me well, and there's nothing magic about the prayer, but it's always helped me in the posture of my own heart when I faced major decisions. Everything from when... I was a 16-year-old kid facing major back surgeries, and I had a choice to make. My parents let me make a choice to moving across the country three different times. To also, All of us have been there. We had a lot of big decisions that we've had to make in our lives. One of the things that I, I've often prayed is this, is God, I trust you more than my ability to hear you. Would you help me? I trust you more than my ability to hear you. Help me. I submit myself to you. I humble myself before you. I need you. I'm not absolved of responsibility. I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. We have responsibilities. But my hope is not on my bright ideas. My hope is placed and my good shepherd. Psalm 27, 12. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. Father, thank you. Thank you that you have not left us orphans. Thank you that you guide us. You do instruct us. You Show us things. And at key moments, you're very clear. But Father, I also thank you that there are times when you're not clear. 
because you're growing us, you're stretching us. Would you teach us to be a people who are patient and not hasty? Would you teach us to be a people who learn to wait on you, to recognize that your character, you're never in a hurry. Sometimes you move quickly, but you're never in a hurry. You don't use fear. I thank you that your perfect love for us will cast out our fears. I pray for my brothers and sisters, anyone that's here today that's wrestling with a major decision. Maybe it's something they're fearful of. I I pray, Father, that your love will set upon them and your presence will come near to them, that you would reassure them, you would cast out that fear, that they would have the resources that they need, the people that you want to bring around them to help them walk out the decisions that they need to make. But I thank you also, though, that the most important decision that any of us could ever make is to choose you, is to respond to your love towards us, the fact that you sent your son to die for us, to live for us, to teach us, to conquer death for us, to pay our price, and to welcome us in. We choose you. Lord, we choose you as best we know how. We respond again this morning, Lord, as we go into worship. Speak to us, speak to each of us what you would like to say. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord God. Now, as Sean was uh, teaching, I just sensed this thing in my heart from the Holy Spirit that we have to align our hearts with the heart of God in order to love the right things, in order to desire the right things. You know, James says, when you pray, you don't receive at times what you're asking. He said, because you're asking with the wrong motives. And then he says, because really what you want to do is spend it on yourselves. David said, unite my heart Father, to fear your name. And I feel like there are probably all of us at some level and many at a great level who say, you know, really my heart is not aligned with the heart of God. How can I trust him to lead me when what I'm desiring probably isn't even what he desires for me? As we take communion today, we're coming to a table that is a a table of the assurance of God's faithfulness, a covenant table. And I want to just encourage us to come to that table today with honesty, as much as we are able within ourselves to say, Lord, please align my heart with yours. Make my desires your desires so that, Lord, When I ask you to lead me, when I ask you to give me guidance, I'm asking with your heart. I'm asking in agreement with what you really want from me, even though I don't know what it is. I will settle for whatever you have for me, and I will trust you, Father. I will trust you. Let's go to the Lord's table, take communion together together and if you do need prayer there are people available to pray if you have a need in your heart then 
terms of alignment with the will of God, with the heart of God, not the will, the heart of God. Just receive prayer for that. This bread in a very real way represents the humanity of the God-man, Jesus Christ, who prayed this prayer, not my will, Father, but your will be done. Represents a body given for us, a body that was given because of us. And so today, Father, we thank you for this bread and what it represents in this covenant that you have made through the sacrifice of your son with us. We ask today, Lord, as we eat this bread, that we would also be able to say with our whole heart, not my will, but your will be done, Father. Let's eat together. This cup represents the life of a sinless man given for you and I because of our sin. We pray today, Father, that we would sin less and less. We pray, Lord, that we would know the truth of what Paul teaches, that we're dead to sin. But we thank you this morning for the forgiveness of sin. And we thank you for this cup and this covenant of love. Let's drink together. Amen. God is good. God bless you this morning. Um, just going to release you. If you want to have fellowship, go to the area where you guys know the donuts are. And if you need prayer, um, there are people over here that will be available to pray for you. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.